Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, good morning. I have a question for you this morning. Is God really good? How can we trust and know that God is good? You see, I've had moments in my life where I've doubted that God is truly good. My mom was hospitalized because of a stroke while I was in high school and she was in the hospital for three months and then in intensive care for another six months. So for nine months, my life was thrown in a complete curveball. And I doubted if God really was good. I doubted his purposes. And then my parents went through a rough divorce. And then I doubted again, is God truly good? Have you ever felt this way? I think many of us have had moments in our life where we've doubted, is God really good? How can he be good amidst what I'm going through? But this is what I want to explore today. So my goal is for you to see God's goodness in Romans. But I I also want to share a little bit of my story and how God has redeemed me and shown his goodness. And I'll admit today is a lot of scripture. So uh, grab those seatbelts from underneath your chairs, buckle up, get ready, because it's going to be a long ride of a lot of scripture. We're going through Romans 9, chapter 10 and 11 this morning. So it has not only been a meaty book, but today we're covering a lot of ground. So if you guys need a Bible, there's a bunch of free Bibles in the back just because we love you. Uh, And if you guys want, there is also the app that you guys can follow along very clearly. Uh, And today I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version. So uh, let's pick up right in verse 1 on chapter 9. It says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. This is Paul writing this. And man, what a way to open up a passage. What is going on, Brother Paul? Verse 3 continues, For I, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites. What Paul is basically saying, that he would, he would rather live a life apart from God than see his fellow countrymen, his fellow brothers, the Israelites, uh, completely miss Jesus. There's, and this is true for us as parents, right? We, we, uh, with our own kids, we do this. There's nothing we hate more, or that I hate more for sure, seeing my kids or my wife in pain. Often I wish I could take that burden from them. And so this is what Paul is feeling for his countrymen in this. Because all the truth is there for them, and they're denying Jesus. Let's continue in verse 4. It says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the worship, and the promises. Uh, That is quite a list of things. What the heck does he mean by adoption, glory, covenants, giving of the law, the worship, and the promises? Well, what he's doing is he's recounting Israel's history of God's goodness. The adoption is that God adopted the Israelites into his family. He chose the Israelites to be his chosen people, his people to reveal the rest of him to the world. And then he, uh, 
He took them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and he led them to the promised land. And he revealed his glory to them in the tabernacle and in the temple. So God revealed, he adopted them, then he revealed his glory. And then he gave them the promise of bringing them to the promised land. And he gave them the covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, each time promising to be faithful time and time again. And he gave them the law. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the guidebook to living a holy and set-apart life. And he taught them how to worship. And he made the promise that Jesus was coming. So all this history, again, Paul's saying they are missing out. He's really detailing some powerful things about God. Because this is true. God not only adopted the Israelites, but he also adopts us. He not only revealed himself to the Israelites, but he reveals himself to us. He also gives us the law, and so we can know how to live as a result. And we know what truly matters to him. He gives us the freedom to worship him. And finally, he promises us, he promises us Jesus as well. Let's pick back up in verse 5. It says, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. So really quick, I want to do something as well. Would you guys all put up the peace sign with me? This is going to be a little silly, but it makes a point, I promise. So there's two kind of bunny ears in the peace sign, right? And so the first is, is what Paul keeps on doing all throughout Romans, is he keeps doing this thing where he's reinforcing God's humanity and his godliness. So the first one is, is Jesus' humanity. And so we see that he got hungry just like we did. He suffered just like we did. And so this is part of who Jesus is. The second part is his godliness. And we see that he was fully God and fully human. He is God over all in complete control. And so now cross those fingers. This is Jesus and who he was. He was both God and both human. Now you have these three fingers that are kind of sitting down here, right? Put them all together. This is God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. So congratulations, you now understand the Trinity and the hypostatic union of Jesus. Way to go. Good job this morning. Uh, I'm just kidding. That is much deeper theological terms that we will get into. But this is kind of cool because uh, Leonardo da Vinci actually did a painting called Salvatore Mundi. And you see Jesus' hand in the picture. It stands for Savior of the World. And even Leonardo da Vinci back hundreds of years ago understood this. I'll come back to this thing in a moment, but I bet you didn't learn, you didn't think you were going to learn about art a little bit this morning either. Um, all right, so let's go. We are on verse five out of 90. So let's continue through so I can get you guys home for dinner. Um, verse six, it says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, not all the children of Abraham because, because they were his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah has conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had not done either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of the works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob, I love, but Esau, I hated. Okay, there's a lot there I want to unpack, but I think we should keep moving to get the bigger picture. So verse 14, it says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. 
For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends on, not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up and I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Man, God has a lot of control. You'll see, you'll say to me then, what does he still find fault? Where does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But you, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded, say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show us wrath and to make his own power, has endured with patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I call my people. And her who was not beloved, I call beloved. And in the, same, in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the numbers the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Whew, okay, told you, a lot of scripture today. Uh, but did you pick up on a theme a little bit through this whole deal? We see back in verse 15, God is in complete control. This whole message speaks to God's sovereignty and his power. And I love verse 21 where it says, Has the potter no right over the clay to make the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? You see, we're God's clay. He can do whatever he wills with us. He can mold us and shape us. And we see a couple of verses above where he did that with Pharaoh in a negative way. I would rather my story not be his story. But Paul highlights something amidst all of that control here at the end, God's mercy. See, from Genesis 1, we know that God spoke the world into existence. He made what was good and we ruined it. And then we see in Genesis 6, where he ended up flooding the entire earth and starting almost completely over. He literally has the Thanos snapping power to wipe everything out. So why doesn't he? Why doesn't he just do that and start over? Well, it's because of that incredible quality, his mercy. Let's look back at verse 25 and 26. As indeed it says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I call my people. And her who is not beloved, I call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Hosea was a prophet back in the Old Testament, if you don't know. He was a prophet who married a prostitute. So he was a man of God who married a prostitute. And time and again, his wife kept cheating on him again and again and again. But he remained faithful. 
And so Hosea is this representation of how God is in relationship with us. We, again, keep turning from God. The Israelites kept turning from God, kept turning from the law, kept turning from their ways and worshiping other idols, other gods, but God remained faithful time and time again. So he is both completely in control and he is full of mercy. And for that, I am thankful. You see, whenever I committed my life to Jesus back in middle school, uh, I did not know really any Christians. At the time, we were attending um, a, a church. My mom kind of brought us there really to get a break and a reprieve. Uh, my mom was in a wheelchair and she had three kids, so there was just a lot of work and a lot of hands uh, that she had to deal with. And so going to church was a great reprieve for a Sunday morning. And it was there that those uh, student teachers taught me about who Jesus was, who I really was, and how I was sinful. And so I made the decision to get baptized. I wanted to accept Jesus into my heart and get baptized. And I remember I got baptized in a very awkward way. Um, this pastor drove all the way to the other side of our small town and baptized me in an RV park pool. And there was no big celebration. It's just where my family was living at the time in a trailer park. And uh, it was there that there was no cupcakes, there was no thing. And the rest of my family just looked around and they were confused out of their mind about what was happening. And that very same week, my family ended up taking our RV and we traveled around the US for an entire year. So I got baptized, I was excited, I was on this high, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about what God's doing. I finally understand as a middle school student what the gospel is, and that was immediately uh, just left, cast to the wayside. Because we traveled around the US for a whole year and we didn't have a Bible in that RV, and we didn't visit a single church through that whole time. And so, as a result, this fire that was burning inside me became this sad little flickering birthday candle. And then whenever we moved back home after that year of travel, my parents went through a rough divorce as a result. And uh, we didn't go back to church. So, whenever I came back to school, I started getting in with the wrong crowd. I didn't have that many friends after coming back, and I lived sinfully. I knew what God had done for me, but I wasn't living it out and I didn't have a guide or someone to help me. I was just like the Israelites. I had all the information in front of me. I knew exactly what it meant to be saved, and yet I was living completely different. So if I could go back and look at my younger self, little Tyler, and tell him, you made a mistake, you need to turn from your sin, I, could, I would do it. I would have that same attitude and anguish that Paul had at the beginning of this message. He was in anguish over his brothers, and I'm in anguish at how I lived at that time. Let's do this. Let's continue on with Romans 10 in verse, uh, verse 5, because <clears throat> it ties a little bit with my story here in a second. Uh, so for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteous based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me read that again. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For when, so chapter 10, or verse 10, I'm sorry, it says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one can, 
confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is available to everyone, is basically what this is saying. And he was available to me. Even after I dedicated my life to him and was excited about this new salvation, and I confessed that Jesus was Lord, I completely forgot. But the decision, but the decision was clear. Now, I love these next three verses. It says in verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not even never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed that he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So this is exactly what happened to me. I was in this, this pit of despair. I had this salvation that was this little flickering flame, and I wasn't living it out. But somebody came in and preached the gospel to me. He brought me back into God's love. You see, God's control worked in my life. He controlled somebody to do this. He put a prompting of the Holy Spirit on this guy named Matt McKinney. He was the most popular kid in our school, and he, reached a, he just walked up to me in woodshop class. And he said, man, do you want to go to youth group with me? And I was like, absolutely, yes. Uh, if, it, if, you're, if a cool guy like you is going, then it must be super cool. Well, I got there, and it was a, a youth pastor who was living in a double-wide trailer behind the church. He had a pet sheep, a black sheep named Chewy, and he was living alone, like with the old-school wood paneling. In his double-wide trailer, he had his bedroom, and in the main common area, there basically was a ping-pong table and a bunch of couches. So it was super appealing and really cool. Uh, but it was in those nights that that double wide that I got to know Matt, that I got to know the pastor, Austin, and they brought me through the book of James and then through Romans. And they taught me what it truly meant to follow Jesus. So that little flickering birthday candle became a roaring fire within a matter of months. You see, God didn't give up on me. Very easily, I could have just walked away. I could have lived down the path that the rest of my crowd was going down. I knew over seven kids who overdosed from drugs in my high school, my senior year. And that was the exact same path that I was headed on without Jesus stepping in and bringing me back to him. You see, I am grateful for God's control and his mercy. God used someone who was willing to lean into the uncomfortable and preach the news, just like in verse 15 and 16. And my life changed drastically as a result, I was a quiet kid who would go around and not even talk to a single person an entire day of school. And after Jesus lit that fire within me, I became a more confident person and was able to share Jesus' love as a result. I know what it meant to love God and to get to know him better. Let's read some in Romans 11. It says, verse, so let's pick up in verse 11. It says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? 
See, God used the sins of Israel to graft in and to welcome in the Gentiles. So salvation was no longer for the Israelites. It's now available to everybody. Check out these next few verses, verse 13. It says, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means reconciliation for the whole world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the other branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root who support you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So not to become proud, but fear. And if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note that the kindness and the severity of God's severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted, you will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. That's exactly like my story. I was grafted in, I felt cut off, and I was grafted in again. For if you were cut off, if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Okay, this is a lot about trees, I know, but this is my exact story as I shared. God grafted me in. I'm no gardener, but basically my understanding of grafting is the idea that you make a little notch in the tree and you can take a branch from another tree and you can splice it together, wrap it up with some twine or string or whatever, and eventually that branch, if healthy, will grow into the tree. And so that is open to all of us. We can be grafted in to be a part of God's tree. See, I was alienated and alone in my faith, but it took someone else, part of the bigger tree, to reach out so I could join the bigger church. Trust me, you can't do this whole faith thing in isolation. I tried. Besides, you can clearly see in these passages that God not only wants the Israelites, but he wants you as well. I want to do this. This has been a lot of scripture to read, but the Bible Project does a great job kind of summarizing these three chapters, so check out this quick video. Paul begins in chapter 9 with his own anguish over fellow Israelites who don't think Jesus is their Messiah. And it leads him to reflect on Israel in the past from the Old Testament story. And he reminds us that simply being an ethnic Israelite, a physical descendant of Abraham, never made one automatically a faithful member of the covenant family. Paul shows us how God has always selected a subset from Abraham's family to carry on the line of promise. And his point is that now that line of promise is carried on by those who follow Jesus. He reminds us that for a long time, people inside and outside Abraham's family have rejected God's will. He reminds us of the story of Israel and the golden calf and of Pharaoh's rebellion. He shows us how God was able to orchestrate events so that people's rejection of him actually accomplished his redemptive purposes. 
And so in chapter 10, Paul turns his focus to Israel in the present. The reason many Israelites reject Jesus is because they're basing their covenant relationship with God on their performance of the commands in the Torah. And so sadly, they don't recognize what God has done through Jesus to create a new covenant family on the basis of faith. And so Paul asks in chapter 11, what is Israel's future? Has God written off his people? No, he says. There are tons of Jewish people, including himself, who do recognize Jesus as their Messiah, but there are also a lot who don't. But God has been able to use their rejection for his own purposes. It's caused the gospel to spread even quicker and farther into the Gentile world, making the family of Abraham even larger and more multi-ethnic. Paul describes God's covenant family as a big olive tree, and the rejectors of Jesus have been broken off, so to speak, and these Gentiles are like wild branches that have been grafted into the family tree. However, Paul says, one day Jesus will be acknowledged by his own people. He doesn't offer any details about how. Paul simply trusts God's character and promise that he won't give up on his covenant people. Through this time in Romans and through God's work in my own story, it's evident that God wants you. He wants me. He wants all of us. And he will stop at nothing to love you. And if you could walk out of these doors with one truth, I would want it to be this. God's sovereignty and God's mercy make him a good God. He didn't give up on me. I had opportunities to turn from him, but God's sovereignty and mercy was stronger. Romans 9 was all about uh, God's sovereignty. Romans 10 was all about his mercy through the act of Jesus. And Romans 11 is that salvation for us all. Another way to say it for you math nerds out there, I can say that because I am a bit of a math nerd, is God's control plus his mercy equal his goodness. What a great truth that is. What a great God he is. Amen? And this is true of Jesus too. Remember the hand thing I told you to do earlier. Jesus' humanity and his deity together. His deity was his control and his sovereignty and his power. The humanity was Jesus' mercy. He humbled himself to the point of becoming a human. He didn't have to do that, but he did. He put himself in our shoes. And together, he was sovereign and merciful. So each member of the Trinity then is full of control and mercy together. To wrap up, I want to say this. I don't believe in accidents. There have been no mistakes in my life. Yes, I've caused many dumb mistakes to happen, but God has continued to use them for his glory and to continue to draw me closer to him. And he has used countless others to help me fall more in love with Jesus. So I challenge you with this. First, I want to challenge those of you who maybe feel like your relationship with God is really good right now. Maybe you believe in God's goodness and you believe in that holy, which is awesome. But I challenge you with this. Who are you loving with that? Maybe you feel like God is good, but you're not sharing it with everybody. Maybe there's somebody that God's placing on your heart specifically that you've been not denying to share that love with. So I would say lean out, step into the uncomfortable, and love that person because you're in a great spot if you're experiencing that. Now to those of you who might be doubting God's goodness, what have you done about it? Maybe you've tried to run from him. Maybe you've tried to hide parts of your life because you know that God would look at your life and disapprove of what's been going on. 
Maybe you've denied his word. Maybe you stopped reading your Bible because you don't want to read what the truth is and have that truth influence your life in some way. Well, if that is you, I challenge you, no matter what you've done, no matter what questions you have, God still wants you. And he's still here. So stop running and turn to him. And finally, I know this, that if you are here right now this morning, you are here for a reason. And it's that God desires your heart. He isn't going to stop giving up on you. Because he didn't stop giving up on me. He isn't going to stop revealing himself to you. Because he's done that for thousands of years with his people. So what you need to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved.